Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from Sunday, November 5th, which would be yesterday. The text you will hear is, it's not the gospel reading, but we didn't have a gospel reading this week. It was from the book of Hebrews and is about Jesus as the great high priest. This was a special Sunday in a number of ways. Of course, we celebrated communion, which we did earlier in the service than we normally do. Our youth choir was up there in force and singing. We had a packed out house for worship, and it was also our commitment Sunday for our stewardship campaign. So that's the context as we talk about Jesus, our great high priest. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading from the New Testament, which comes from the letter to the Hebrews, beginning in chapter 4, verse 14, and going through chapter 5, verse 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears, to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The book of Hebrews is the only book in the Bible that's thought to be a sermon. It's sort of in the form of a letter because sermon, the sermon was written down and sent around to churches, but really it's a sermon with a little, hello, this is what's in the package, and have a nice day at the end. The sermon is sent to a group of Jewish Christians, and the main purpose is to teach in the way that a sermon would. We don't know who wrote it. Initially, some saw, thought Paul might have written it, But then scholars said, nah, we don't think so. They don't really know who some of the possibilities, aside from Paul or maybe Apollos, who we read about in Scripture. But the issue that Hebrews is trying to deal with sounds kind of mundane to Gentile Christian ears. The topic is the priesthood of Jesus. And the problem for Jewish Christians was the promise of Scripture that priests would come from the tribe of Levi, Apparently, many were rejecting the notion of Jesus serving a priestly function 
because he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. And they're saying, you can't be a priest if you're from Judah. You got to be from Levi. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to show that there's biblical precedent for another line. One established in the passage that Joe read for us through King Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek gets attention for two reasons. First, none other than Abraham brings him a sacrifice of a tithe, a tenth of what he had. Melchizedek is called a king in scripture, but it's the job of the priest, not the king, to receive the tithe. So if the greatest patriarch of the Jews is bringing a tithe to this Melchizedek guy, he's got to be something special. The other reason that Melchizedek gets attention is that he seems to come out of nowhere in scripture. The passage that Joe read is the first time that he's mentioned, and he then disappears just as quickly. Important people in the Bible tend to be introduced with genealogies. If you've been reading the Daily Walk, you know about those. It goes on and on for pages. So everybody can be sure of their pedigree. Somebody that Abraham would bring a tithe to surely would warrant a genealogy and further history about who he is and what became of him. But we have nothing. And so the word began to get out that Melchizedek was more than a mere mortal. He had an eternal character, somebody with no genealogy, no account of birth or death. So Apollos, or whoever wrote Hebrews, makes the case that there's a special kind of priest that doesn't come from the tribe of Levi, that predates Levi. And it comes, that order of priesthood comes directly from God, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, for most of us, knowing that helps us follow the argument in Hebrews, but it doesn't really take us into flights of religious ecstasy or give us a reason to show up here again next week. But I think it does deserve our attention and can help to deepen our spiritual lives if we think intentionally about what it means to name Jesus as a high priest, whether from Levi or Melchizedek or anywhere. What does it mean to be a priest? The word priest comes to us pretty well filled with baggage. So I want to give you an example of what a priest does in a context that has nothing to do with Christian religion. It happened this past Tuesday night on Halloween in my brother's haunted barn out in Townsend. Now, my brother Rob has loved Halloween since he was a little kid. He was always turning our basement into this haunted house and the kids would come down and do all that stuff. And now, as as an adult, he's always providing scary entertainment for whatever town he lives in on Halloween night. And in Townsend, he's taken over a neighbor's barn. And for six years now, this ever more elaborate uh, haunted barn has provided some ghoulish entertainment in Townsend. And I am his resident witch. (laughs) No comments about typecasting. (laughs) But on Halloween night, you can always find me there in my witch costume with a little witch puppet in my hand, beckoning children in to reach into my large smoking cauldron, which is where all the candy is and where glow sticks are. I also make sure that they talk to Harry, the life-size skeleton in the coffin in the corner, and my brother carries on a conversation through a remote microphone and cameras with them. 
I have this foot pedal to drop a large spider on people's heads, and there are all kinds of other effects and embellishments in the room. It's my other life. Yes, it's all revealed now. Uh, and it's always fun. But this year, I was especially struck by an encounter with a young boy in a Batman costume. He was about three. And despite his superhero status, he was not at all sure that he wanted to set foot inside the haunted barn. His dad was with him there holding his hand, but still he stood at the door, kind of fighting back tears in that toddler, I'm about to have a meltdown kind of stage, and pulling in the other direction. And so this was my cue to go to work with my puppet. I went to the door, and in my cackly witch voice, told Batman how glad I was that he had shown up at the haunted barn because it was scary inside and I was scared and if Batman was there, then everything would be okay. And so he began to interact with the puppet. Bit by bit, I coaxed him over to the cauldron. It's hanging from the ceiling, fake fire underneath, lots of dry ice steam pouring out, and I told him about the candy that was inside. He still wasn't all that sure. And I told him about the glow sticks he could have if he'd just reach in there. His dad picked him up so that he could reach in, but with the steam hiding the contents, he wasn't any more ready to reach in and get that candy or glow stick. So I reached in with my puppet, pulled out a bag of candy and a glow stick, and I gave it to him. And Batman lit up like a light bulb, grins from ear to ear. I put out my witch puppet hand, because my goes all the way in, to see if he would shake it, and he did. I said, I'm pleased to shake Batman's hand. He started jumping up and down. She is pleased to shake Batman's hand. <laughs> he was happy as a clam. With a smile from ear to ear, he put the glow stick around his neck, he clutched his candy, he took his father's hand, and he practically danced out of the barn. And I thought, I may be dressed as a witch, just this moment, I served the function of a priest. It was a holy moment to see the transformation of that little Batman. And it wasn't the only one of the evening. The role of the priest in Christian religion or in anywhere is to provide a safe way for people to approach the frightening vastness of God and to discover that what seems fearsome on the outside is actually a place filled with gifts for those who will just trust the provider. Little Batman saw unfamiliar and frightening things when he first looked in the door, and he couldn't come in on his own. But with my help, even though I was initially part of that scary scene, he gained the courage to trust to set foot over the threshold. Still, he couldn't get the gift himself, it had to be given to him. But once he received a gift from my hand, all was well. And when I said I was pleased to shake his hand, he ceased to be a frightened boy in a Batman costume and became the superhero that he was intended to be. The role of the priest is to connect us to God when we can't do that for ourselves. There are many reasons why we find ourselves unable to connect to God. Fear is one of them. We read about this when Israel was in the desert and came to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. 
You remember that? The mountain is shaking and smoking and there's all this noise. And the people say, you know what, Moses? We don't think we're going near that mountain. We think you should go and talk to God. And then you come back and you tell us what he said. Because we're not going near that smoking, shaking thing. Another reason we have trouble connecting to God is sin. God is complete and total righteousness. God is also complete love and forgiveness. But where love exists in all of its fullness, neither fear nor sin can enter. It's not that God says, oh, keep out. It's that it's a physical impossibility for fear and love or for sin and love to exist in the same space. To try to enter is to blow yourself apart, like matter and antimatter trying to come together. Love is such a massively good and powerful force that fear and sin get exploded off the map if they try to enter. And that's where the high priest of the Jewish tradition comes in. Many priests help people approach God and offer their sacrifices day by day. We read about all those sacrifices through Leviticus and in the Old Testament. But it was only the great high priest that could offer sacrifices for the sins of the nation. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in alone to the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple, to offer a sacrifice of atonement for all the people. He wore special garments with jewels that had the name of each tribe inscribed on his shoulders. So as he went in, he literally took all of the people symbolically with him. Only the high priest could enter the holiest of holies ever. And everyone knew it wasn't entirely safe in there. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That Ark that we saw often captured and taken off to other cities. And if it was in an Israelite city, the city flourished. If a foreign city took it and captured it, that city had plagues. If you touched it by mistake, you got struck dead. It's a powerful, massive thing. Sometimes the high priest would receive visions when he went in there, as Zechariah does when he's told that his wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son and that he should name him John, becomes John the Baptist. He doesn't believe God, and God makes him mute until the time of John's birth. Only the high priest can make atonement for the sins of all the people. An interesting piece related to the high priest is that the law of Moses specified that if you killed somebody, you could run to certain identified cities, cities of refuge, they called it, to escape the vengeance of relatives and people who said, you killed somebody, you're going to die. So they established these cities of refuge. You could run away and stay there. You pretty much had to stay there the rest of your life, but you could stay there and be safe. But when a high priest died, all of those who had escaped to a city of refuge were allowed to return home safely. The life of the high priest bought their forgiveness. I hope you can see in all of this what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say about the nature of Jesus. The great high priest is a metaphor for Jesus, just as is the good shepherd, the vine, the lamb, and the light of the world, all metaphors. But this one adds to our understanding about what the life, ministry, and death of Jesus is really about. Jesus serves as a great high priest for us. He helps us to connect to God, and we trust him because he's been one of us. He has compassion for our weakness and for our ignorance. 
because he's lived a human life. I first got through to little Batman because I said I was afraid too in this scary barn. As it says in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. When sin is blocking the way, Jesus walks into the presence of God with our names engraved on his shoulders to make atonement, and in his death, all is forgiven. When we're too fearful to approach the vastness of God, Jesus provides a friendly face to guide us a little closer. And even if we can't reach in ourselves to take the gifts that God has for us, Jesus will reach in for us and give them to us anyway. When we think we're small and we don't count for much in the eyes of God, the high priest shakes our hand and says he's proud to do so. Because of the great high priest, we can enter the presence of God and come in that presence to know our own great worth. One of the rallying cries of the Protestant Reformation was the tenet of the priesthood of all believers. While the Roman Catholic Church claimed that only a priest appointed by the church could connect people to God, the Protestant Church took seriously the notion of all believers as being part of the body of Christ, which means that any one of us can be a priest for another. Any one of you can help someone who's frightened of God come across the threshold and see that there are wonderful gifts that are waiting for them. Any one of you can listen to someone confess their sins and help them realize that God has forgiven them. And we can each do that because, in turn, we are hanging on to the hand of the great high priest, who in turn atones for, excuse me, atones for our sins and establishes all of us able to stand in the presence of God. Jesus is our great high priest. Already this morning, we've remembered the forgiveness that was attained in Jesus' death as we shared in his broken body and shed blood. We no longer must hide in the cities of refuge. We can go home again, free men and women. We have experienced his welcome and affirmation as we feasted at the Lord's table without restriction and have discovered that what seems when you look at it like a grisly, frightening ritual of death actually holds life and joy and love. The great high priest has made atonement for us. And so we come to the last function of the priest, and that is to receive the gifts of gratitude of the people. While there were sacrifices brought daily to the priest to atone for specific sins, those weren't the only things that were brought. There were thank offerings and wave offerings. There were offerings for special needs in the temple and for the needs of the widows and the orphans. It was the job of the priest to receive these gifts of gratitude and sharing and to present them to God. This was a God of a two-sided relationship. God gives and the people respond in thankfulness, affirming the desire and reaffirming their commitment to stay with the covenant, and to continue to be God's people. Today is the day that we bring our good faith promise of the gifts that we'll bring throughout the coming year and years. Some of you have been thinking about that for a number of weeks. Some may have just received the pledge card this morning. 
Some of you may be visitors and thinking about your commitments to another faith community. Some of you have mailed them in already. Some of you may need to take the card home and pray about it more. But during the meditation time in the next few minutes, as Anne plays, I invite those who are ready to come and to bring your faith pledges to come to the front and place them in one of the baskets that will be here at the front as a sign of gratitude for what God has done for us. We'll take up the regular offering later. This is just for the pledges for the coming year or years. And at this time, I invite those with the baskets to come on forward and to stand at the front. There isn't a formal way to do this. As you're ready and feel moved, please simply get up and bring your pledge forward. You can fold it, put it in one of the baskets. Um, if you need someone to bring yours up for you, just lift a hand and someone coming by will take that and bring it up. And we'll be placing them up on the altar as we present these gifts to God. Jesus will take them from there as our great high priest and offer them to the God who has given us life. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. I'd love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings. Thank you.